All right. Hello, welcome to this edition of Torque Talk featuring Lacey Burgess. So if you missed last week's episode with Sean Stevens Whale, I really recommend you go back and check that out. But Torque is an acronym for the Obstacle Racing Collaboration, which is a team of OCR athletes who are working together for the upcoming season so we can get better results, much like the Bowerman Track Club or the Hanson Track Club in traditional road running and track running. But this is specifically for obstacle course race athletes. So there are 15 total members and to help you get some insight into who these athletes are and how they train and balance their work life, we are bringing you Torque Talks. And Lacey Burgess is a contender in every single Spartan race or obstacle course race that she enters. She finished 10th place last year in the U.S. National Series and has since moved from Minnesota to Colorado Springs in part to help with her training. So we talk about the transition from uh, Flatlander to Altitude and some of the unforeseen challenges that present themselves while doing that. And we also talk about how Lacey has been able to balance working 12-hour shifts as a full-time respiratory therapist. And we also talk about some of the stress that 2020 and COVID-19 specifically has brought into her life as a frontline healthcare worker and the challenges of balancing high-end training and with helping people through this pandemic. So uh, a lot of cool insights on, on that respect and a lot of great takeaways in terms of training, mindset, nutrition, and the like. So I Love chatting with Lacey. She's just great energy. I think you'll really get some good insight into it. So here is our Torque Talk with Lacey Burgess. Did you move to the mountains for the s- snow stuff? The snow stuff? I guess kind of. I'm sort of like jack of all trades, master of none. <laughs> like, like I can ski, I can snowboard, I can cross-country ski, a little bit of everything. But I'm not extremely skilled and I didn't get a pass this year either because of the whole COVID process and waiting in line and that sort of thing so but maybe next year it's just kind of it's hard in Colorado because it's like you can't really commit to just one sport it's you get FOMO a lot from I can't other imagine and is it everybody's <laughs> out there probably is like you right they probably all do all the things and want to do all the things all the time I do I feel like that a lot and it's constantly really humbling too, because you sort of feel like, oh, like I'm a semi-good trail runner, and then I moved to Colorado and realized that everyone here is a freaking awesome trail runner. So- I can't, I can't imagine, because like, I mean, the Olympic Training Center is close by, right? It's in Colorado Springs. So do yeah, you- I actually live like a mile and a half away from it. Oh, so- really? So literally, world-class athletes like in the neighborhood. Yeah, like people I run with around here regularly are like, oh, did you see so-and-so running today on Santa Fe? And I'm like, no, but (laughs) like when you, it's different too on Strava because like when you go on specific routes that are pretty popular, like you think you did pretty well on that route or you get like a fourth place or something. And then you'll look at who has the crown and it's some like world-class runner that you're never going to touch basically. Is that encouraging or is that discouraging? Like when you're like, oh, I'll never get this crown. Or it's like, oh, well, at least I stack up fairly well. What's that like? <laughs> well, a lot of times you're so far away from like the top one or top two that you're sort of a little discouraged by it. Like I'm never going to be on that level. But at the same time, it is really motivating because people around here are crazy competitive on Strava. Like it is out of control. <laughs> it's like, because you know, where I'm at, people use it. It's, it is more of a social thing. It's like giving kudos and it doesn't seem to be as 
really sought out. Like, I don't know what segments are what, and I don't know if people are out here segment hunting, but is it like that in Colorado Springs? Are people actively like, this is a segment that I know and I need to take this down? (laughs) Yeah, it's totally like that. Like, for instance, I got this crown on a set of newish trails, probably like. Congrats. Either way. Oh, I mean, it wasn't a big deal. It was like, oh, well, these are pretty new trails. Like, they're probably not that well traveled yet, you know? And I took the crown away from a girl that I've actually ran with her before out here, too. And she's a really good trail runner. And literally the next day, she went out and took it back. And I was just like, really? Like, you couldn't just, like, let me have it for, like, one day? But it's kind of constant like that here where it's, like, people just go nuts because obviously like everywhere else we don't have a lot of racing going on and yeah. that's their means of competition but when you got that did it, do you get the emails sent to you like the yeah <laughs> were you like were you immediately like i need to get that back or are you like could you just have left me one day <clears throat> yeah i was a little bit i mean it's like that frequently here like i swear i lose a crown every single week i don't know if like the rest of the world is going through that with strava right now but I've learned to just like, let it go. Like, you know, maybe we'll get through COVID and people will relax on Strava a little bit. I don't know. I always, if ever I get a crown taken, I just, I'm like, oh, they were on a bike. Couldn't be. (laughs) They're cheating in a car. So how long you been, how long you been in Colorado? It's been a little over a year now. So. So perfect time. So you don't, you don't quite know what it's like in a real world scenario. Yeah, I guess you could say that for sure. It kind of like COVID definitely put a little bit of a damper on meeting people when I moved here because I really didn't know anybody. Like Jack Bauer was literally the only person I knew that lived in Colorado Springs. And like, I didn't even know him. I was just like, do you want to work out with me? Because I don't know anyone here. Nice. Well, he's, he's definitely gonna be friendly. He'll, he'll talk to you about OCR for sure. Does that, so what, what prompted the move? Did you move there for work or did you just go to be in the mountains? A little bit of both. I guess I always wanted to live in the mountains slash at elevation, train at elevation like everyone else, you know, <laughs> but just ended up getting a job here and cost of living in Colorado Springs is a little bit better than like Boulder and Denver. So it just seemed a little bit more reasonable to come here versus there. And I don't know, I probably shouldn't tell people that though, because it seems like there are a shit ton of people moving here now. So. I can't imagine. It has to be like, all, like, because that's, that's what happened to Boulder, right? It's a pretty small town. Essentially, it's a college town, right? Yeah. Then, now it's just densely overpopulated with tremendously talented athletes. With awesome athletes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like if you want to really bruise your ego, just like spend a weekend in Boulder and you'll probably feel pretty bad about yourself. Because so. they're really, it's not what, like 100,000 people? It's really not even that big. So the chances of you running into an awesome athlete are pretty high, right? And when people are there to do those things. Yeah, exactly. Like the only couple times I've been up there, actually, people were doing like pointing out athletes like, do you know who this is? That's so-and-so, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, if you want to get your autographs in, that's probably the spot. I don't, I, I wonder if it's better just to be like, I don't care who that person is. I'm just here to here to train and not worry about it. But it has to be part of the culture so much that you can't not know. And like just going to regular races and seeing how awesome people are, I guess you just kind of become aware. So, so moving there, where were you from originally then? I'm from Bismarck, North Dakota originally. 
And then I lived in Minneapolis slash Twin Cities for about eight and a half years before I moved here. Nice. And it was a lot to do with, with training. That's so cool. I'm, I'm really jealous of that. Every year, you know, maybe around, because you did the full national series last year, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think at Big Bear, I was like, I can't train at sea level anymore. I need to be <laughs> in the mountains. I can't have this happen to me again. Yeah. No, I feel the exact same way. Like I, once we moved to the mountains last year for the national series, I felt like I just got pounded in the ground. And it was a reminder that's like, I just can't hang kind of, you know, how do you do, how did you do? Cause you were 10th overall in the series, right? When no tie yeah. for 10th or did you get the tiebreaker? We'll, we'll call it 10. Yeah. Um, they never really told us either. It, I feel like Spartan just leaves a lot of those things as question marks. You're like, so are you gonna like, let us know about anything or just leave us hanging? And they're like, they're like, what do you mean? Like, never mind. Sorry. I asked, did they pay you? <laughs> did you get your hundred bucks? Yeah, I got a hundred bucks. All right. So I guess that count. I know that whole thing, the whole, all those races, all the travel, hundred bucks for 10th place. <laughs> I guess it's better than no money, but it might as well have been none. Um, so how did you do in those, those altitude based races? Cause there was, when all said and done, including Tahoe, cause I'll count that in like the national series, I guess, or just like national world level races. How do you do at like Big Bear and Utah and Tahoe? How do those fare for you? I was- Mm, nothing special like finished in the teens most of them I kind of just towards the end really didn't feel well like I learned a lot about fueling at elevation I guess from them by just kind of tanking at the end for the most part (laughs) you know so it kind of like better prepared me for moving out here when I learned that about racing in the mountains but what uh like what kind of things did you would you have learned because I mean I just chalk it up to just not being in good enough shape. I haven't really considered it from a nutrition standpoint. Like what kind of things did you think that you like mishandled or could have done better? Well, I think definitely working on sustained climbing was probably my biggest issue. Mm. Like I can run rolling hills and short climbs where I have some downhill to like catch up. But for the most part, just especially like Big Bear when you're climbing for so long, I, it's just not something that I have a strength in. So like moving out here, I mean, as you can imagine, there's so many trails that you're, it's like 2000 feet of gain for the first five miles. And then you're going downhill or, or you're doing out and backs where it's a lot more sustained climbing and just getting used to, you know, that pull and how it feels in general. And then not feeling like you need to take a break at any point. Like you just, you kind of have to keep slogging along you know what was that adjustment like because i like i'm also in an urban area much like what the, the the twin cities would be like i would imagine in terms of the terrain like a lot of concrete just flats you can get the trails somewhat if you seek them out but nothing like a sustained climb more than i don't know 100 feet i can get so what was that adjustment like moving out where you can really there is almost no limit to what you can do in terms of elevation was it just a matter of doing it or was there some adjustment period for your body to kind of uh, adapt to that? That's a really good question. I actually still feel like after a year, I'm not adjusted to it. Like hmm. just in terms of you start to see some improvement, but it's all kind of about who you compare yourself to. Right. And I run with some really good ultra runners out here, which 
I feel like moving to Colorado puts ultra running into perspective, like how good of athletes they are, because like, I think I'm getting a little bit better in terms of just becoming more of an uphill athlete, I guess you could say. But a lot of times I'll be running with some of them on runs that are like 2000 plus feet of gain. And that's like not that much to them. Right. And they're like having conversations while we're climbing. And like, meanwhile, I'm like secretly dying. Like, I'm like, I cannot talk. I'm just going to like ask questions so that you keep talking. I just think so, you're like really shy. It's like, no, Lacey doesn't say, doesn't say too much. <laughs> he doesn't talk. It's like a I don't know. It's weird. So I think I'm still adjusting to it for sure. But it kind of, it makes it more fun because it's not like you just like move to the mountains and you're like, wow, I'm a really good mountain runner now. It's like, it's probably going to be a couple of years before you consider yourself a really good mountain runner or ever, you know, who knows? Right. And that, that's a really good point because that's in my mind, I was like, oh, okay. If I just move to the mountains for a year, I'll just be awesome at this. And then I'll have the whole Spartan thing figured out. But that's, that it, there is definitely some time you need to like figure it out and like learn more about the ups, literal ups and downs. And like with the, the physical part was like, do you feel more beat up? Cause you can't like, just like from the little bit that we've worked together and just like seeing your runs, like there, you can't not get elevation. Did, do you, did that take a while to adjust to like physically like the wear and tear or is it, was that okay? Yeah, no, I honestly think I'm a lot more tired in general. Mm. <laughs> like, uh, well, when I first moved here, I think in my first, like, eight weeks, I lost, like, eight pounds or something just because, huh. like, your body's working harder in general, and you're probably just burning more because your body's not adjusted to it, which I'm assuming that kind of happens to a lot of people when they move to elevation. Huh. But I find myself taking, like, little midday naps a little bit more. And I do think, like, I've asked so many people how long they feel like it takes them to really adapt to running at elevation and, like, when they felt like they were really strong on their running game again after living here for a while. And I expected people to be like, yeah, you know, it took me, like, three months or four months or, like, six months tops. And, like, I honestly feel like after a year I'm finally starting to feel, like, kind of normal. <laughs> I have I, don't know. <laughs> I have wondered that with the way that elite athletes do live at altitude and you know essentially they do time conversions of what they would be potentially capable of doing and they just go like 10 seconds slower then it's like do, do you just kind of feel terrible a lot like is it just always hard and you just always know it's hard or does it ever feel like like does it feel like running at home ever for you or it, it never has that same type of feel I, well, I kind of forget what running at home feels like when I haven't been there for a while, hmm. but last time I was in Minnesota running, I felt great. You're like, I feel like everything people, <laughs> yeah, like I was like, I can run forever. This is fantastic. But just like what a lot of people say, I think intervals, like longer intervals and stuff are harder. Like tempo runs are harder. It's just kind of like, you feel like you always want to shorten your speed a little bit because hmm like your lungs aren't quite there but I don't know I guess from running with other people here like it it helps to hear that a lot of people went through the same thing moving here it's like comforting you know yeah that it is going to be a, a process even a, a quite 
like a year into it. And that's the one thing about altitude. It's like hard to figure out the best way unless you are going to just live there because it will ultimately hurt your recovery. Like it'll probably mess up like your sleep. Like everything is going to be wrong if you're just not there for a long time. So it has to be hard just to like adjust and get those immediate gains. Were you bummed out? I mean, we're all bummed out that there was no season, but I would imagine like, you know, I can't wait to go to West Virginia. I can't wait to do all these races at sea level going to smash them. <laughs> was that like kind of, were you thinking about that? Yeah, no, absolutely. Like I'm sure other people as well, but when I found out Barton canceled their season, I had like, I don't know, probably two months of like mild depression. Like I was just like, I don't know why I'm so sad, but I don't have anything to look forward to. And like none of these other races I signed up for are probably happening. And like, I guess I'll run some local races, but it, I don't know. It's tough when like you're putting all your energy into certain races and like planning ahead so far in advance. And then you just can't get the big letdown. <laughs> Cause it's like that thing. It's like every year, like, I know I thought this, I was like next year, is my year. <laughs> and I think a lot of people thought that, right? They're like, I'm going to go, I'm going to kill it. I'm going to train so hard. And then 2020, I'm going to mash it. And then there was just no year. So it's like, okay, how do we adjust from here? When did, when did you first get into OCR? It's been about four and a half years now or so. So I was just mostly a trail runner before that slash I ran for a road team too, mm -hmm. but secretly kind of loved trails more. And then I did a lot of indoor rock climbing. So one of my rock climbing partners was really into OCR and super into Tough Mudder specifically. And he got me to do one. And then after that, basically I did, the first one I did was a Spartan sprint in Minnesota and I was like completely hooked. So. <laughs> what year was that? That was uh, 2017 or 2016? Yep. I think it would have been... 2017 i came out to that race one year um, 16? maybe the 2018 because it was part of the mountain series the following year or one year right yeah mm -hmm. it's a pretty hard course <laughs> thanks for saying that because i've always thought that too yeah like, it's like really it's, steep mm -hmm. it's a ski hill like i heard other people say because when it was part of the mountain race it did attract some people you know like Alyssa holly came out I don't even remember who was all there, but I just remember people who lived in more mountainous regions, they complained about how humid it was and how that was like one of the biggest obstacles for them. So Totally. That's the hardest thing about East coast races is that the weather, it's always wet. Like when I go, the one thing about altitude races that I like is that it's always dry. So like Tahoe's dry, Big Bear's dry. Like it's never, the obstacles are way easier, but like in Minnesota or on the East coast, like everything is wet all yeah. of the time <laughs> so yeah that totally. race, so it was hard and the day uh, the day i the race i ran it was like a lightning storm you must have been there as well there was a lightning storm it delayed everything there was a lightning storm in the middle of some races and they pulled people off of the course do you remember that yeah. no that was the worst like i'm sure everyone after that experience was like i'm never coming back here like this is ridiculous they just have it hard on the extremes like it's just I'm sure spring and fall are nice for a really short amount of time, but like, it's just tough on both ends, like really humid and then really, really cold. So when you first got into it, it was like, you were immediately hooked. Like why, what did you like so much about it? 
And how'd you do um, in that first race actually in 2017? Oh, I entered like, you know, when there used to be competitive waves in Spartan once upon a time, Yeah. What, like there what? was age group and then there was competitive and then there was elite. Do you remember those times? Not, not really. There was, a, there was a group after age group? Yeah. Or what? So then, yeah. So competitive was like one under elite. So okay. I entered that because I was like, I have no idea if I would be good at this or even competitive whatsoever. And then I won the competitive. So, and then other people were like, if you would have ran elite, you still would have been like in the top eight. You should have just ran that. And I was like, oh, cool. But mostly... And I would imagine other people feel this way too, but just not having to run the entire time and like using your upper body is so much more attractive than just running a running race. Mm-hmm. And I still kind of feel that way. Like I ran a few trail races this year and it's almost like your mind gets sort of bored and you're sort of like, I'm sick of running. Like I can't, I don't know. Obstacle races, you get spoiled. And it's hard to go back. That's kind of how I feel. The concept of like how Spartan does the trail series is so bizarre to me. And that people opt for that as opposed to like running on the same trails, but then having obstacles in the middle. I'm like, why would you ever just do the trail part? I don't, Yeah. I don't, like it doesn't make any sense to me. No, it seems ridiculous actually. Unless the, you like are really, really bad at obstacles, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, but then why even do a Spartan trail? Just do any trail. There's a million trail races. <laughs> that, and they're probably cheaper than Spartan trail. So. They're definitely cheaper than Spartan trail. Yeah, it's probably just as enjoyable. So you were doing rock climbing as well. So when you came in, did you do burpees that first time? Or were, were, did, did, they, did the obstacles seem relatively simple that first, that first shot? No, I definitely did some burpees. I think I failed two or three obstacles. Like, you know, the typical, I've never seen a spear before. How do I throw this? Yeah. I haven't done any monkey bars in however many years. So just stupid stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just like the spear one that just shouldn't count for the first time. You're just gonna, I'm just gonna miss it. So how did you prepare then after? Were you, so you had, I mean, you had the running background, you're doing on trails and you had the, the rock climbing stuff. So what was the shift in your training that you had to make when you decided like, okay, I'm going to go in on this. And was it immediately where you're like, okay, I won this competitive. So that's out. Now I'm, I'm going to do the elite and we're, and what, what was that process like when you decided to then push yourself to become the athlete that you are now and like where you're going? Yeah, I think mostly just putting a little bit more into my training in terms of structure, not just like running whatever you felt like running that morning and Mm. actually following some sort of plan is what I kind of needed help with the most. Like I worked with Kirk a little bit last year and he was really helpful with that. And we're both training for the same races. So he kind of knew exactly what to put in there and that sort of thing. So that was pretty big. And just obstacle specific things like getting into a ninja gym here Mm. and there. I used to go to a ninja gym like once a week and just work on things with people that were much better than I was at obstacles in general, you know? Yeah. seems like a good way to go get humbled. Yeah. And what about the competition piece? Is that something that you is just ingrained in you or what made you want to be competitive in this? I think 
I've always been a relatively competitive person, but for the most part, I think I got really into the points thing. Like when that was initially, you know how you're like, oh, you have this many points and now you're like in the top 50 in USA. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times they would get it completely wrong and your points were totally off. Didn't and make any sense. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But for some reason I got really into that. And then it just led to getting a little bit more competitive each year, I would say. Okay. And then at the, at the point last year, last year was the first time you did the U.S. National Series? Yeah, I had done a couple of the races in previous years. Like I did Seattle a couple times and I did Big Bear the year before, but I just never did the entire series. So yeah, that was the first time doing the whole thing. What prompted that? Mostly I just didn't know what to do with the year. It was sort of like, what would make the most sense? Well, you probably shouldn't do the mountain series because you don't live in the mountains and you're going to be doing hill repeats for hours and hours until right. you want to come home, basically. So it kind of just seemed like the most practical thing to do. And just to be able to put the whole thing on your schedule and something to look forward to, you know. So did it kind of come back to the structure piece again? It's just like if I could have a structured season – like that would allow me to kind of point, point myself toward like training for it. Yeah, exactly. Which I don't know if you had this problem though too with the series last year, but I looked at the venues and I was like, Oh, I don't know if I really want to go to these places. Like some of them are cool, but like Alabama sucked. And it was like, why are we going here? I don't understand. The, the mobile but, race was the, uh, the day before my birthday and I stayed cause I was going to plan to do it Sunday. I went there by myself. So I was in, and I didn't end up racing cause I just wasn't feeling great. So I spent the day by myself in like the Alabama mobile, Alabama airport on my birthday. So <laughs> I was like the oh, same. Sad. So yeah. And then this year was COVID birthday. It's been, it's been a tough time. March has been a tough time, but that's true. <laughs> like at least Jacksonville was in February. It's like, okay, I can wrap my head around this, but yeah, it's just, yeah, Alabama was like not cheap and they kind of advertised it as like this whimsical place where it was like, <laughs> oh, there's all this greenery and it's going to be so beautiful. And like we get there and it's like sticks and everything looks like damaged and we're like, oh, cool. It was super great. It was like cold. It, it actually was like cold that morning. Yeah, it wasn't warm at all. Nope. <laughs> what do you what do you like on a, an OCR course? Like what do you like to see? In terms of like terrain, like what's like what's your favorite OCR course? Ooh, that's such a big question. I feel like tons of people say West Virginia, which I thought West Virginia was pretty incredible. Like that mm. one's really hard to beat, and it's just so much different vegetation and like every couple miles you see some new color or new plant, and you're just like, wow, this is so lush. So that one's definitely up there. I actually really used to like Seattle too. Mm. Like just in terms of it's not, if you're a flatlander, there's not a ton of gain in it mm-hmm. and it's just really fun to run. But then last year with the freezing rain and you know, <laughs> <I was> rough. <laughs> really, really long water crossing. Um, that was so, really rough. And the water was so cold. How'd you do in that race? What did I get? I think I was like, 11th or 12th or something like that maybe nothing crazy special but I remember like hearing the girl next to me I won't like say who it was but 
like crying in the river as we were going, like literally like sniffling <laughs> through the water crossing. It was like, ah, just so cold. And I was like, this is so discouraging. Like, <laughs> where's the DNF line? Like, let's yeah. go there now. <laughs> that that was many, many a burpees in that race. I think I ended up doing 90. I just, I missed a bunch of stuff. Were you missing obstacles that day? Yeah, I think that was one of my worst obstacle races ever. Yeah. Like I did this shit ton of burpees. It was ridiculous. I'm still trying to figure out how to dress for events like that at the time. It, right before, so two years ago, the there was this really, the end of the mountain series was in New Jersey and it was in November and it was so cold. It was like the coldest day ever. It was like that day in Seattle, but probably like 10 degrees colder. And And I just was like, this isn't going to matter. And I just wore like a, like no gloves and like a cutoff shirt. And I was like, I'll be fine. And I was the most cold I've ever been. And then, so for <laughs> Seattle, I was like, okay, I'm going to wear something like tight. And then I put on gloves like last second. I was like, I'm just going to put the gloves on like regular runner gloves, like not the bleg mitts or anything. I don't even have those. And that was also a mistake just with the, this, the shirt that was tight to my skin. It just got wet and it just stayed wet. And I was like, and I was frozen and I couldn't do anything with my arms. Have you, have you figured out like the best way to dress for like events like that? No, I'm kind of right there with you. I have noticed people wearing like those neoprene jackets and vests and stuff. It seems like that they've kind of figured it out with that, but I haven't had the experience of actually trying that in a race. So maybe this year, but I've done very similar things to yourself. Like mostly I've been like, well, I'm going to get super soaked. I'm going to wear a sports bra and shorts, whatever. Yeah. And then froze my ass off the entire race. So. Right. And you're, it's an immediately a mistake. You're like, oh, okay, my hands are. It's like my hands are going to be frozen. I'm going to be absolutely worthless for a while. But, the, but I agree with you on the West Virginia and the, then the Seattle race too. Like they're both fair, you know, like some of the races like the like big bear and Utah and Tahoe, like, I love those courses, but they're just really not that fair for people that can't, that don't have access to that. Like, like you last year, but because there's just nothing there, it's just really hard to prepare for it. Whereas in Seattle, there's some elevation, but not really in West Virginia. It's, it's not overbearing. In terms of, yeah. So when it comes, when it comes to OCR, like what have you found is something that you excel in like more than anybody else? I kind of feel again, like I'm relatively decent at everything, but not a super expert at anything. Like I used to always like fail my spear or at least like fail one obstacle. And that would really hold me back in terms of, you know, getting in the top five or getting in the top three or like, or in just general races, I'd end up like getting second or third because of my spear. And I don't know Then I worked on that and had, quite a few more clean races last year so that felt good but I guess I'm pretty good at carries like for my size I guess too just from looking at Strava segments and stuff and those are just things I've figured out along the way but again it's like everything's always a work in progress and just when you think you're like really good at something then you like have a race where you completely suck and you're like, well, now that's something I have to work on. Cool. Yeah. And it could be like the next race and all, and like, or like the next day, like the same thing that you thought you were going to do well at and just didn't, at least in my experience. Do you prepare, yeah. 
the carries really, or is that something you look forward to, or do you just like you just do well in them? I think from climbing a lot, like it strengthened my scapula and my rhomboids and my deltoids and that kind of thing enough to the point where I don't really have to work on carries that much. But I did work on them last year occasionally. Like I would just do ski hills where you're going up and down a few times and then do a bucket carry here and there, sandbag carry, just so you're not shocked when it comes to race day at the pain that you experience, you know? Yeah. Just being ready to to what it's going to feel like under fatigue. So what is that? Like, what kind of workouts do you feel like other than even like the carry ones have moved the needle the most for you? Like, what do you think works best when it comes to training for these things? Actually, I felt like I was in my best like OCR shape and this doesn't work for everyone. So not saying it's like the key to OCR, but when I was doing a ton of hit workouts, Hmm. like I, well, I started off doing a lot of orange theory, which I know is like non-specific to anyone's fitness. It's just kind of like a general course, you know, that gets your heart rate up and you get to see how hard you're working on a screen and you know, that sort of thing. But that kind of stimulated more of those workouts and doing them on my own. And just because they only, I mean, most of the time you only spend like 45 minutes to maybe an hour at the most doing a hit workout and you get a lot out of it. So it's like, if you don't have that much time to train, like if you're just doing like an hour in the morning and maybe a half hour at night or whatever you have time for, I think those are the most time efficient. And then you get used to your heart rate being jacked up and doing a variety of, you know, strength and cardio and mixing the two. So I think it mimics RCL or OCR well in general. I agree. And there's definitely merit in terms of how you're going to be able to handle the change of stimulus and being able to move from one thing and transition into the other thing. That's essentially what these hit classes or CrossFit really even is, is just how you can do a bunch of things under fatigue. So that, that makes a lot of sense to me. And like, did you find that it was less shocking to your system, like when you were gotten really good shape and like, how often were you doing those? Were you just doing them whenever you could, whenever you could fit them in or what did that look like? Probably like too often, you know, cause it probably wasn't that great for my immune system mm. or my recovery. I was probably doing them like five days a week or so, but I backed off eventually. That was mostly, you know, when you're in the midst of crappy weather which is a lot of what Minnesota is and you're doing so many indoor workouts and that kind of seems like the easiest way to get your heart rate up frequently without having to try to run outside with intensity a lot yeah so but that makes sense did you get like your your splat score is that what it is (laughs) yeah your splat points splat points I went one time and for some reason like wrist-based heart rate monitors don't work really well on me so like my heart rate never got to the point where I could get any splat points. <laughs> you um, like failed every course. They're like, yeah. you should try harder. They came over to me like, we need to, f- we like, what's going on over here? I was like, <laughs> like I'm, I'm going as hard as I possibly can go right now. <laughs> Last place. <laughs> They're like, we think you might have a heart condition. I don't yeah, know. I know exactly. It's like, you need to stop, sir. And, and you mentioned one thing that about fitting things in where they can, because yeah, you, you up and moved, uh, it's Colorado, but you're not a professional athlete, right? So like, what, what do you do for work? I mean, I know you have a lot of demands when it comes to that. And sometimes it is about fitting in what you can do uh, with what you got. 
Yeah, I'm a respiratory therapist. I work both in the hospital and in outpatient pulmonary rehab. So that's been really busy just in the last, even just the last two months since COVID has spiked so hard. I don't, I'm assuming it's bad there too, because it seems like it's bad everywhere. Yeah, but, we're just all shut down. I mean, I, you can only <laughs> speak for what you, what you can see, but it doesn't seem great. Mm-hmm. So do you, are you working like extra now it, when, I mean, it sounds like you are in the crosshairs of what this whole pandemic, like, like how it's affecting people. So are you working more or how's that like working yeah. day to day? I mean, the one positive thing about it is like RTs and RNs are so in demand right now that they're paging out crisis pay. So usually it's like short notice. So you're kind of, and they're kind of like, well, there might be shifts open this week, you know, so pay attention to your phone. And then sometimes you just have to like pounce on it if you can work. Plus it's kind of like you feel bad because you know how terrible it is if they're working without a certain amount of people. Mm. So you do feel like slightly obligated to work a little bit more because it's just not a good situation and everybody's just working a lot harder than they normally do. And it's just kind of like taking down overall morale a lot. So it's, it's so much better when you have like full staffing. And so in a way, like everybody's been doing really well though and helping out as much as possible. And we know that at least hopefully there's an end in sight now that we're distributing vaccines and that's starting. So Fingers crossed. And I was going to ask about that. I actually haven't spoken to many healthcare workers who have kind of been in the front lines of this thing. If you don't mind chatting about it for like a little bit. Yeah. How is morale? Like how are, like you mentioned that it was, is down when things get so busy and crazy, but is there this through line that you guys have is like, Hey, this is why we're in this. Or is it getting to the point that it's like, this is just crazy. It's been, it's just everyone's so exhausted because you're just running around a lot more than you normally do. It's like you're already on your feet for the majority of a 12-hour shift, but with a lot of these COVID patients, they're on non-invasive ventilation, which, so the whole thing, and I don't know if every hospital is following this completely, but like our hospital is basically following what happened in New York City which is like 80% of the patients that were put on ventilators there ended up not making it. So in other words, we're trying not to reach that sort of death toll by not putting a breathing tube down, intubating these patients and putting them on a ventilator. But the side effects of that is it ends up putting a lot of more, a lot more work out for RNs and RTs because if these patients aren't sedated, which we can't fully sedate them because they're not, we're not breathing for them. We don't have respiratory support for them 100%. Mm. So they're on like non-invasive ventilation and high flow oxygen. And they're like talking and like somewhat alert a lot of the times and a lot more irritable, a lot more agitated. Mm-hmm. And so it just re- requires a lot more attention yeah. from everyone. And so it's, it's like, A lot of these patients, you know, every COVID patient that goes into the hospital, they can't have any visitors because, yeah, if you're COVID positive, 
we can't let anyone else into your room other than healthcare workers. So that kind of makes them more agitated in the sense that like they haven't seen their family and they're starting to get, like I've had grown men like crying for days in the ICU because they haven't seen their family and they're so lonely mm-hmm. and they feel terrible, you know? Well, it hurts my heart even just like thinking about like what they feel like. It's gotta be so helpless. Like they want to probably make their family feel better, but they're in the, in the hospital and they can't do anything. Can't even see them. Oh, it's gotta be so tough. Yeah. Yeah. I totally feel for them. But like at the same time, it's hard on staff because we don't really have like all the resources to have people going in and out of their rooms, like constantly mm-hmm. and making sure that they're okay because our hospital is like full, you know, like it's full of COVID. So it kind of like, it does hurt your heart because you're like shortening your time with everyone. And you know, if you were able to give them like the full attention and the amount of time they need, you could be a better therapist and you would feel better about it by the end of the day. But resources just aren't there. There's too many constraints. Like it's like only so much you can do. It seems Mm -hmm. spread so thin. Oh my goodness. Well, I really can't tell you how much I appreciate you just being in there and and doing it 12 hours at a time. Yeah. How are you feeling? (laughs) Thanks. I appreciate that. I mean, I'm okay. Actually, it just for a while there when we weren't hearing any news on the vaccine or like things just seemed to be going back to getting really bad again. It was just hard to like have any motivation. But now that we're kind of like seeing some gains and like all the research they kind of just gave us about the vaccine really gave me some hope for 2021. So I think hopefully things are going to end sooner than we think they are. But I I have to like tell myself that because otherwise it's just like a sea of negativity right now, you know? Yeah. 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 I mean, it it seems like a a breath of fresh air at the right time, even though it's a terrible time, but having the news come now where it's like it's ultimate high point has to at least feel good. Did that turn morale a little bit or did it, or is it just like, Hey, we still have a job here. Yeah. I mean, I know a lot of people are, you know, highly suspicious of the vaccine still. And some people are saying, no, I'm not taking it. I'm going to wait several months. And that's fine. I mean, you're all entitled to your own opinions, but I think the research looks pretty good. And so, and honestly, I think the majority of us in the hospital on the front line have probably had some form of COVID by now. So for me, it's like not really that scary to take it. But I can also see like if you're thinking about having kids soon or you want to see where the research goes because you're not really sure how we're going to react to this a year from now or something, then I totally get that too. Yeah, absolutely. Anything new is going to be scary, right? And I mean, it's like either either way, you weigh your options if that's the way you're feeling. It's got to be a tough spot. But yeah, again, appreciate what you're doing out there. I appreciate you talking to me about it because like I said, I haven't had too much interaction with the frontline workers like yourself. So keep at it for us. Thanks. Appreciate that. <laughs> um, so how do those 12 hour shifts, like from a, from a training standpoint, like how do you deal with that? <clears throat> it's hard if you're working like three in a row because also – you know how you get a little bit worried about just your immune system crashing kind of by the end of it. Like I've had times where, okay, I'm going to run before work 
on all three of these 12s. I'm getting up at four, <laughs> you know, I'm going to at least run like five miles. And then you get to the end of them and you have like a sore throat. You have like two new zits, like your body's just like, <laughs> so like pissed off. It's just like, why have you put me through this for the last three days? Like, I just want to rest, you know? Okay. Yeah. So. Like, and that's a matter of like balancing the stress. Like what is this stress going to suit you or is it going to be overwhelming? Right. Because you're already put through so much stress, just lack of sleep and just being at work. And then is the stress of running and training, is it going to help you or are you just kind of doing it for the sake of, of doing the work? Yeah, no, I really struggle with that. Like I'm sure other people do too, but I'm always debating. Like if you wake up super tired and your body's like, I don't want to run. I don't want to run. It's like, is sleep more important? Or should you like check that box and complete that workout? Because you know, you'll feel better mentally if you do it. Mm -hmm. But then are you like headed for a complete downfall? Because you're like not recovering the way that you should? Like, I don't and, know, I always struggle. And this is important. I think people will struggle with this who don't work 12 hour shifts. It's like, am I on the brink of overtraining or am I being a wimp? You know, and like, and it's like a slippery <laughs> slope like that. It's like, if I don't run this time, what, what happens next time when I have the choice to not run? So I think a lot of people, it's just easier to be like, I run no matter what. And if I get hurt, that, that's, that's how I'll find out that I shouldn't have run. But if I, if I run no matter what, it takes the option out of it. So what is that wrestling match like for you? Are like, do you kind of run through different like checkpoints in your head or is it case by case where you're like, I don't think today's a good day. <laughs> I think it's case by case, kind of like how you're saying, but almost, I mean, I would say like 90% of the time you're always happy that you did that workout or you did that run. And usually you're in a better mood that day because of it. It's just, you always wonder like how much your body can take and you know, the aftermath of it all and that sort of thing. And like, you know how sometimes you get so exhausted from not getting enough sleep and you're probably overtraining and then you end up like eating more than you normally should. And it just kind of presents like bad habits sometimes, you know, hmm. like your body's like paying you back for it. Or at least in my case, sometimes it is. Cause it's like starving for energy. So you're like, like I end up eating a lot of sugar and then huh. after that I'm like more sore because I put so much sugar in my body that I probably shouldn't have, you know? And are you, once that happens, like say that, yeah, there's some sort of like sugar binge or just like mindless eating to the point where just cause you, your, your body's telling you, you need, you need more. Are you able to reflect upon that and be like, Oh, that's something that, that I just did. Or like, are you able to, to gather these signals like while they're happening or maybe before they're happening or is it something that just happens you're like oh shit I probably should have chilled out <laughs> maybe a little bit of both I think I'm getting a little bit better at identifying it as it's happening as I'm getting older but I would say in years previously I would just end up super sore and maybe like gain a few pounds and then feel bad about it so I think I'm like actively getting a little bit more aware and a little mm -hmm. more in touch with it and I think that happens to a lot of people who work like longer shifts or especially people who work night shift and things like that. It just like completely throws off their body. Like you almost get like out of touch with your body when you're not giving it enough rest in general. Right. And that's gotta be so hard, right? How are you supposed to communicate well and like do what's going to serve you best if you're feeling out of touch? 
right? Like if you're not there with what those feelings are, like what is going to help you get to there? So it's like a slippery slope on that. Yeah. So that's just like hard to figure out like what the best, what the best route is. Like, what would you tell somebody who's facing this? Like if somebody was like, you know, just moved to 12s or just got moved to the overnight shift or something. And they're, and they're, and they're like someone like you who's trained, who trains really hard who competes at a high level. Like how would you tell them to navigate this? I would say drink. This is, it's like stupid little things that we forget, but drinking a lot more water and a lot less caffeine. Cause like, I'm definitely guilty. Like I'll drink just a shit ton of caffeine sometimes if I'm super tired And then ultimately I like don't get enough sleep because I don't go to bed until later because I have all this like artificial energy or I like crash midday and then end up like eating a big meal or doing something that I wouldn't normally do. But I think it's like the basics and making sure you get at least like seven hours of sleep and that'll like reinstate your metabolism to a certain degree. Because I think like the less you sleep, I don't think it's like this for everyone, but if you sleep like five hours, I, I'm like grabbing food like every couple hours because I'm like, oh, I can't even like focus right now. Like your hmm. brain is just kind of like craving those calories as well. You know? And I think that's been shown that the like how rested you are has a direct impact yeah. on your willpower and like the amount of and, and like then you will make the decisions that you might not normally make if you're that tired. So yeah, if like you'll just start mindlessly grabbing things and just be like, oh, okay, like there's a candy bar, I will eat that and not and not even like have that like ability to like fight that off or speak to it. So I mean, it, yeah. I like that it's always the basics, right? It's just like okay, well let's look at how much coffee you're drinking and, and chill that out, which is a bummer because coffee is the best. Yeah, it is. I heard your you talking on your one podcast about how you did a study with Cliff Bars. And you were saying it was something about getting that testing done on it, right? Yeah. Yeah. The IgG test, which is like the food intolerance test. And that was that Cliff Bar in particular was something in my own like anecdotal experience that I cut out and it helped my breathing. Like I have asthma. So when I get, when I feel inflamed, it's usually my chest. And when I cut that out, it, that went away. And I did this test because of that, because I was having such, because that like made me think it's like, Oh, what else could there be that might be affecting my breathing? And I found that in a lot of like uh, added sugar, like refined sugar is another, mm-hmm. is another, like, like what you said, same thing. It's like, you don't recover well, it's probably inflamed, but that is definitely an indicator for me. Do you have things like that as well? Yeah, definitely. I also, I listened to one of your casts where you guys were just talking about diet and you were talking about baby food and yeah. <laughs> you had like tried that out. And I recently went rollerblading with Jack Bauer and he was like eating baby food. And I was like, did you listen to that podcast too? <laughs> so <laughs> it's true. It's, like listening the, to your tips. <laughs> it's the only like real food you can get at the supermarket. That's not like packed with sugar. It's like, I just want some sweet potatoes. I don't have an oven. So baby food it is. Yeah. I'm thinking about trying it because of you. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a good pre-race. Mm-hmm. So headed into say 2021 happens. Like we're, we're it's got to happen. It's going to have to happen. What, what are your goals? What are my goals? Well, I guess I DNF'd once this year, which was really sad. So 
my goal in life is to never GNF or race again. <laughs> like, was that your first DNF? It was the second in my life. And I kind of forgot how bad you feel. Like initially you don't always feel that bad because you're just like stoked to not be running anymore. Like, I did. go to the bathroom <laughs> and like eat snacks now. But like maybe like two days later, I kind of felt like a piece of trash about it. Like I was like, you should have just toughed this out and like you're better than that type of talk with yourself, you know? Mm-hmm. What did you think so, happened? Because I mean, that was at that time, that was kind of like what we were just talking about, right? It was like a lot of things were happening at once. Nutrition kind of got wacky. And then there was this race there. Would you like, after thinking about it a while, what, what do you think happened? Well, I, another thing I kind of underestimated, I think was, and I, maybe a lot of racers went through this this year because we don't really have like fans at races anymore, yeah. you know, with limited capacity and your waves are smaller I mean, there's just, like, not a lot of energy sending you off, sort of. Hmm. Like, most of the time, it was kind of like, one, two, three, okay, go. Right. And, like, you're used to, like, this pump-up talk where you're, like, you know, just ready to race. And, like, I don't know. So, like, running a few races this year that were like that, I wasn't as motivated, hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. It was kind of like you're just running this race with a small group of people. And sometimes you don't even really know where you're at unless you take off in the pack of like the lead women or the lead men. And you know, for certain that these are the fastest people. And so you don't really know, like if you got third, did you really get third or is there a wave behind you that's faster or something, you know, and that was a little bit unmotivating as well. So, well, you had a bad experience the race before that yeah right yeah <laughs> and that, I, what happened there you because it was going off of waves and there was nobody there to follow or what happened <laughs> well I mean that was kind of my fault so <laughs> I was I was like one of the last waves and initially I was like a little bummed because I'm like I'm probably not running with like any fast people really like that kind of sucks but I was like, whatever, I'll just use it to like get a little bit of extra sleep and it'll be fine. And anyways, I ended up sleeping a little bit too long and then got there a little bit late and <laughs> was like having some issues. Like I couldn't get my time chip on my shoe and like I drank so much caffeine. I was like shaking and like still had to pee a couple times, you know, and you're just, I don't know. So then I get to the start line. And I thought that there were waves going still after mine for like maybe another half hour or something, but I must've got that wrong because there weren't any waves left when I got there. So they're like, well, everyone else took off. But like, if you want us to do a countdown for you, we you were the one last person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like really sad. Did they count it, it down for you? Did you? Did, yeah. Did they- <laughs> It was super weak too, but they were just being nice, you know, like this poor girl. It's like, you but. can run. Do you even sign up? Nah, yeah, do you, where's your bib? Like, <laughs> I don't know. And then I kind of learned from that too, is like when you don't know where the lead people are, like how fast you're going or you're not actually like racing with a lot of people, you look at the results afterwards and you're like, if I actually would have been racing with them, I probably would have ran a little bit faster, yeah. you know, like they weren't that far away. 
That yeah. And that's, that's the thing. It's been a lot of question marks with any type of race or any type of virtual thing. It's like, was it even like, is, is this, is this right? Like, did we go the right way? So it has been a lot of like question marks when it comes to racing. And is that kind of, so just gathering that type of info and like, you know, saying that you, you know, you miss the energy, right? The energy of the racing is something that really helps you like propel yourself forward. Would you say that is like a catalyst behind like why you are, still racing hard like you want to see where you are against other people or you want to see how you kind of like match up or is that something that has just kind of come to light now yeah i'd say that's part of it i think friendly competition is always a good motivator and just like you probably experienced you kind of get to know the same people and you know sort of where you should be in a lot of these races Mm-hmm. So it makes it a lot easier to gauge like pace and where, what you're capable of and that sort of thing. So I'm not one of those people that's like, oh, I'm going to beat her today. Like I'm taking her down. But it does make you feel good. Like if somebody who's always beaten you, you end up beating them in a couple races and you're like, oh, this is like a means of improvement maybe, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I get that from you where it's not like, hey, I'm in this to you know, win the world championships or whatever. I mean, I'm sure if you did, that'd be great. But like, it's not, doesn't seem to be that, that like me against you type of competition. Like I need to, to win type of thing. It seems like it's more in the spirit of like pushing yourself and seeing like what you're kind of capable of for that. Mm-hmm. And does it is so like, what are you thinking for this year then? Are you thinking, so after the DNF, that's been you've had a sour taste now for a little bit so was that is that is that going to affect the way this next year looks for you I think it's good fuel for the fire you know when you have a year that you're not like super proud of which this year I feel like I didn't really do anything significant that I was like wow that was great like I was just kind of like maintaining fitness and you know meeting new trail friends and like having a good time out in the Mm -hmm. mountains that sort of thing but no, I think definitely next year, hopefully, if next year happens, which I feel like it has to. Has for to. All, <laughs> we're just saying that it is for yeah. sure. <laughs> I think this year might have been good for a lot of people in that way, though, too. Like, maybe they realized how much they valued racing because it's gone now. So everybody's been looking forward to this coming year so much because they haven't had it for an entire year and they're, like, craving it, you know? And one thing that I thought about in the beginning and just talking to you now, because when you move to altitude, like all the pacing and everything gets all out of whack. Like for me, I live in the same place I've always lived in. So I know how my paces relate to six months ago, to a year ago, to two years ago. Like I can tell if I've had progress, but you were kind of taken out of your, like, like what the data has shown previously and put somewhere else where it doesn't really relate where it's all elevation and all altitude. So like, yeah, you might not even really know how you, how you're, you're stacking up um, against your previous self. Yeah. No, that part is really hard. I think too. I've talked to other road runners about that and it's kind of just something you have to swallow. Like, you know how you get like Strava reports sometimes from like what you did a year ago And I'll look at runs that I did in the Twin Cities that were like pancake runs on pavement around the lakes. And like my pace was like 20 seconds faster than it has been here lately. And even like where I live, we don't even like run pavement very much. It's like like a nice gravel trail that's like groomed, but it also kind of takes 
yeah it's slower and so you kind of just have to relax and realize like you're probably not going to set like a 5k pr in colorado springs most likely (laughs) but (laughs) but realize that it's making you a better runner at the same time well yeah you had no races to to see if that was true (laughs) has that been hard has that been hard to like i mean i would have a tough time with the pacing thing and i would probably always try to convert things back to i'd have some sort of calculation or whatever just try to justify some my efforts somehow has it been hard for you yeah definitely like i'm starting to relax a little bit about it it now but like we haven't been able to get on any tracks here really probably the last like three months I've been mm. kicked off of, like five tracks. Like, <laughs> right. it's been, I'm just like, I'm so sick of being kicked off. <laughs> um, even a gravel track one day, I was like, this isn't even a nice track. This track like, sucks no anyway. Way. I've been kicked off of way nicer tracks than this. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't even want to run your stupid track, yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, like when I first started doing track workouts here, it was like, I just, am I this slow? Like, is it, is it just taking time? And then it's like, no, you kind of do have to follow like how it calculates in terms of being higher at elevation and pace and that sort of thing to a certain degree, you know, but I'd like to eventually get there someday where I'm running the same pace as I was at sea level. Maybe that's like an awesome <laughs> we'll goal. That'd be a really cool goal. It's like, I just want my paces to reflect just so you know, that much more fit. And so what do you think, what do you think you need this year? Like what kind of things will help you take that next jump? I mean, you and I are literally in the same place in terms of how we stack up against competition. We're both 10th last year in the national series. And like, yeah, when I finished race, I'd be like in the teens, like, and the mountain races crushed me. So like, I have an idea of kind of what I need to do to hopefully jump to that next level. Like, what do you think you need to do? I think like probably the biggest thing for me this year would be, like taking a more holistic approach in terms of staying healthy and actually doing all the things that you should do to be an elite athlete in terms of like, you should get a little bit more sleep all the time. Like maybe you should get eight to eight and a half hours. Like Matthew McConaughey gets nine and a half hours. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we should be more like him. We should all be more um, like him. Yeah. He is pretty awesome. (laughs) But that's one of the things and like diet wise, probably eating things consistently that I know are real fuel versus just like eating whatever looks good in the moment and eating lots of candy and sugar and things like that. Cause it's always like a work in progress and those things. And then just completely doing structured workouts and like not skipping them for like Maybe you don't feel that great when you wake up in the morning and whatnot. Making excuses, I guess, more or less. Do you think that has a lot to do with like managing the schedule? Like it feels like all those things could be brought back like the 12s in like my mind anyway, not knowing anything about it. Yeah, no, definitely. The 12s really get in the way for the most part. So that would be the biggest thing. But yeah, I would say sometimes like, I'm sure other people do this, but if friends will ask you to like, well, I'm going to run 12 miles on this trail tomorrow and it's going to be like this much gain and this much pace. And like, if that sounds cool to you, you're like, yeah, okay. And then you'll like skip whatever programmed workout you had that day. And you're like, I probably should have just done my workout, but you like really wanted to do that with your friend or something. So maybe finding like a happy medium where you don't just do what sounds attractive that day, but like 
still get your workouts in and make sure that you're following the plan. Yeah. And, but that's a lot like the conversation about balancing the stress of when it's appropriate to not run. I mean, you, you're in Colorado Springs, there's always runners, there's always awesome trails. So if that, those, like, that's one of the reasons you're there, right. Is to take advantage of those things when they come. So, yeah, I think that just kind of managing everything and having all those things and just having it all a little bit at a time and just figuring out what's going to move the needle the most, but yeah. So I'm looking forward to seeing what you can be up to this year. And, and speaking of friends, like that's, what's nice about me. No, one, I train alone. So I never have to tell people. No, I never have FOMO about an awesome trail run, but with torque, we have some people now that we can kind of talk to and kind of bounce things off. So what are you, what are you excited most about torque? And like, what are some of the goals you have with the team? Well, first of all, I guess I've been really impressed with like when you posted race finishes and like when you guys had your time trial and stuff, like I just had no idea how fast people were in that group. A lot yeah. of it. I was really impressed. Some good athletes. Our team like as a legit athletes. <clears throat> yeah, I think so too. And I don't know, like you said, kind of bouncing ideas off of each other and just having people to consult with in general and about training and what they're excited about. And I don't know, even some of them, like I started following Lauren Longfield mm-hmm. on Strava and the amount of volume that girl puts in, I'm just like, damn girl, like I know. <laughs> you're really making me feel bad about my Strava. I know. Like, I, I sometimes, I gotta like, all right, she's just like in a different, like I can't, I'm not comparing next to her at all. <laughs> it's like, she's, yeah. but she handles it. You know, she just does like a champ. <clears throat> yeah. Even her easy days. I'm just like, that was still like 4,000 feet of vert or something and just crazy stuff like that. But I think that kind of stuff is really motivating in terms of our group so far. Just like, I don't know. I've been really impressed. And it's nice just to know other people are taking it as serious. I found is that, you know, when you're training solo and, you know, when we go to races, that's cool. Everyone's serious there. But when you're really seeing what people are up to and like, you can feel like, oh, they actually care as much as I do, or they care more, like I need to step it up. I think that that's going to be really helpful, especially when it comes to the season. And it's going to be sweet when we actually race where, we, where everybody can get some results. Yeah, for sure. Mark Gaudet just told me too, that he might be moving here next August. Yes, that's right. Another training buddy. Yeah, I was like, yay, more people to run with. That's awesome. Yeah, that's true. He's going to, and he'll be a monster uh, coming off of altitude for sure. So he'll be a great resource. Cool, Izzy. Well, I appreciate you popping on with me today. We'll we'll check back in periodically. There's some other healthcare workers who are on Torque as well. I don't know if you knew. I mean, I don't think anybody really knows what anybody else does. Um, So maybe (laughs) I just like kind of kick it back and forth with some other, other people in that respect. But we'll check back in with you. We'll see how training's going and we'll make sure that. We'll just keep tabs on what's going on. But where can people find you if they want to reach out or want to follow you on social? My Instagram is BurgessLA. So my last name and the first two letters of my first name. Otherwise, Facebook, Lacey Burgess. Not how it sounds. <laughs> find me <Yeah>. on there. <laughs> how do people say it? They're like Burgoyas or it originated as Bourgeois. Yes. That's what I said. That's what I said it. And like... They don't say it like that in North Dakota, I guess. Like, no, it's Burgess here. <laughs> it's cool. It sounds better that way. Anyways. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, cool. I'll make sure to link to all the socials and everything. I'll just uh, hit stop here, but we'll stay on the, on the call for a sec. But I appreciate you popping on, and I'm um, really looking forward to what you got this season. Okay, sounds good. Thanks a lot, Rich. See ya.